Hello, everyone. We want to take this opportunity to say thank you. As you go at the Golden Boot, so do our needs, but we cannot do it without you. We ask that you continue to like our posts, share our content, and subscribe to our YouTube, Facebook, and other social media platforms. You may also visit thegoldenboot.com for the latest merch. If you would like to make a financial donation, you can do so through Cash App at Money Sign Golden Boot or through PayPal at paypal.me slash golden boot. We look forward to bringing you more laughs, knowledge, and entertainment. And again, thank you for your endless support. Sincerely and respectfully, the Golden Boot team. The views and opinions expressed in the Golden Boot podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the Golden Boot podcast as a whole. Y'all ready to get rolling? Quiet on the set. Hey, welcome back to another episode of HBCU Hour. It's your boy Poopa. I got my man Aunt Petty Murphy in the building. Uh, first off, Aunt, welcome back. Um, two days later, <laughs> uh, I, I, it, since uh, Monday, it feel like it's been, it's feel like it's been about eight days. It feel like it's been a minute, yeah, <laughs> it's been it a long two days. Um, a lot <clears> has <throat> happened. Uh, we're gonna jump into it. We do have a special guest with us this evening. We got uh, the Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. Uh, depending on what, as he told us last time, depending on what part of the family it could be Carvel, but we it, it's Cavill. But uh, we do we do want to touch on a few other things before we get into uh, you know, main topic for tonight. Uh, and what's good? Have you ever been able to take a high profile job and and then go back to your regular job? Uh no. No, I I worked two jobs at once, you know what yeah. I mean? But I ain't never had like uh a premier job and then you know another you know good job, but just not as you know prolific. Right, right. Well, Alabama AM's office coordinator, Dwayne Taylor, is be working, will be working double duty. Uh he is going to be an office coordinator for the Vegas Vipers. Um, he's also going to be able to go back to Alabama AM and continue to be offensive coordinator with uh Coach Maynard. We've been talking about, especially especially now with everything going on, building those coaching trees. Having those yeah. coaches who you know in HBCU who can who can spread out, make a name for themselves, and and, and go elsewhere and do big things. So this is big. Um, I think it's first of all kudos to Coach Maynard for for allowing this and signing off on this, and also for Dwayne Taylor getting this opportunity to do well. Uh, I think Vegas just got a new fan. So let me ask you this: 
Uh huh. Does he bring a kid glass with him? Ooh. He'd be a fool not to at least try. Yeah. Like, that's to me, when I first saw that, I don't know if a kid was with anybody currently um, right. on a roster right now, but just the, the thought of possibly reuniting them two together, man, that would be, that'd be fun in Vegas for sure. Yeah. I'd I love to see it. Uh, but, First off, let me do this. Let me not be rude. Let me say thank you. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share. If you have any questions, comments, feel free to drop them in the chat. Uh, as we say all the time, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. Uh, what's good, Jason Brumfield? We got Chuck in the building. Uh, our good man, Chuck, Chuck Hunt, the encyclopedia. Yes, sir, uh, my boy. But uh, let's 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 touch on uh, let's touch on basketball real quick. Ant, uh, right. North Carolina Central had a game with uh, Maryland Eastern Shore that 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 did not look like it was gonna be. I thought the game was over. I mean, yeah. And uh, on Twitter, you could see people who you know when they saw the end result of the game, you know, it was the old dang. I shouldn't have left. You know, a lot of people thought the game was over. Central was up thirteen and a half. Yeah, I think they were was seven with fifty one seconds left in the game, you know, and somehow ended up losing the game. You know, Maryland Eastern Shore took the lead on the last play of the game, and that's all she wrote. Let's check out that last play. Y'all know who was in. Hey, that's crazy! What a play! That's why you gotta play all forty minutes, man. Yeah, I think I told y'all the story about uh, it was a uh, Eastern Carolina versus Marshall in the uh, back then it was the GMAC Bowl in Mobile. Uh, we left. I, me and my cousin and, and one of our school friends were at the game. We left three times. Left the game three times. Yeah, oh, you yeah. talking? You talking about that? Yeah, yeah left the game because yeah. it literally where the stadium sits is not far from our house. Uh, our uncle went with us, so we left, dropped him off, went back to the game. It was because it was a blowout. It, they were losing by Marshall was losing by twenty eight or, or twenty one, something like that. Uh, we left, dropped them off, went back to the game uh, because that's what high school students do. Um, and um, the game started getting closer. It started being instead of twenty eight, twenty one points. It was seven, fourteen points. We left again, went home. They took it to overtime and triple overtime. Uh, Marshall ended up winning. That was a uh, old Byron Leffich. Versus uh, David mm-hmm. Broad back in those days. So, um, speaking of basketball, uh, it's a lot of big matchups this weekend in the swag. Yeah, um, you got probably one of, if not the biggest matchup of the season in Southern Alcorn facing off. That that game should be packed, and that should be a great game. But I mean, you got both conferences, the swag and the MEAC. They both kind of top heavy, you know, crowded at the top. You got Alcorn and Southern, both with one loss. Grandma got two losses. Uh, I think TS, not TSU, uh, Prairie View got two losses, I believe. So you got a bunch of teams. Jackson State got two losses. UAPB got three losses. So, yeah, you got you got a few teams that sweat, stacked all right there within one or two games of each other. And the MEAC is, is just as close at the top with – Couple teams with one loss with Maryland Eastern Shore, Howard, and Morgan State all have one loss, and you got two teams with two losses. So 
it's gonna be a tight, tight uh race down the stretch run of conference play. So should get some good basketball out of. Gotcha. Um, quick question for you. Um, I know we we talked in the beginning preseason who we thought would be you know basketball wise. <laughs> Actually, it's ironically I think Doctor Cavill was on when we we picked this. Uh, who we thought would be the uh win in basketball. Um, I know that we were saying Texas Southern. Um, maybe we just should just say Southern. Uh, yeah. Southern is yeah. is. And that's crazy because Johnny Jones usually have a great program. You know what I mean? Right. He usually usually the leading team in the swag. So this looked like a down year for them. But it's, it, the swag been has been very competitive also. So you can't take that. You know, you got to take that into consideration. Right. All right. Uh, let's. You know what? Let's go ahead without any further ado and bring up Dr. Cavill. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcoming back to the Golden Boot, Dr. Bill, host inside the West Club with uh, Dr. Bill. I, did I get that wrong? I think I did. I mess that up, Dr. Bill. No, you said it right, Dr. Bill. No, I'm, I'm talking about the inside the sports lab. Uh, yeah, inside the HBC sports lab. Inside, inside the HBC sports lab. Yes. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Bill. How are you doing this evening? I'm I'm good. It's good to be back. Uh, I saw that uh, intro picture. I, I, mean, I, mean, I forgot that picture. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, night. sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Dr. B, I told you before the show, um, but I'll tell everybody else. I, I, I pray that I have your patience one day. Um, I actually, <laughs> listen, it's two things I pray for. I pray to have the strength of the buttons of the, on, the, on the fat people shirt. And then I also pray to have your patience because you truly do have like it, even kill, um, always on, on on message and stuff with your with, with what you're saying and what you're asking and stuff, and that, it's truly admirable. And, and I truly do, wisdom. you know, appreciate Full of that. wisdom, man. Every yes. time, every time Doctor Phil speak in one of those Twitter spaces, you know it's going to be full of facts and probably a nugget that you didn't know or you never even considered. So. I appreciate you for spreading your wisdom with us. Man, I, I received it. I appreciate it as we were kind of coming into this. Uh, I spoke about it a little bit. I think uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunity that my full responsibilities is, you know, to lecture in the classroom, basically Correct. teach at the higher education level, right? And so part of what I do, of, of what I like to think of being a master teacher in that setting, you know, in a lyceum, is I love to have the engagement with my students. I'm not one of those professors that believe I got to say everything. Um, and so students learn really fast. And one, I like to try to mix up historical facts with current uh, information. I like to, even with it's data or marketing driven, we're going to use current things that they can visually see, tactile numbers, things like that. But part of that is to make sure that they engage and they understand that they have to have discussions. But they learn real fast that it's not very good to have just an open thought or just to say something in my classroom if you haven't taken the time to read, research, and support it. So I'm going to ask you why. Why do you think like that? Why do you say that? So it's a continual update in our classroom to get people, one, comfortable about giving their opinion. Because oftentimes in our community, particularly in a working space environment, um, 
we are not necessarily embellished in such a way or pushed to the front where we have become comfortable about giving our opinion. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because uh, in a lot of arenas, it's not valued. But the mm-hmm. biggest and quickest way to get your opinion valued is when you are substantive, when you know things, when you are comfortable about what you know, you can stand on it for whatever reason because you've done the research you develop a vast pocket of information that you can go to, wealth of knowledge, if you would, and you can deliver it among people. So, you know, I'm fortunate in that manner in that space is that, you know, what we talk about happens to be HBCUs for the most part. Um, and, I, you know, there's a lot of interest in sports. And so I do that all the time. I'm reading constantly to get information and make sure when things come up that I have it relatively in a uh, resource tank that I can bring it up. So, again, I received that. I thank that. But I, I'm blessed in the opportunity that I live what I would like to say is my purpose every day. I, I You know, it's funny. I, I never thought about it that way um, as far as, you know, having an opinion and then not necessarily always being valued. Um, I was in the military. So a lot of stuff I was <laughs> like, hey, why are we doing X? Y Z, and um, I one of the, the best quotes, and I I can't fully quote it on here, but you you'll get the gist. One of my drill sergeants basically told me, "I don't know, I just hold a leg. Somebody else do the, and you can finish the rest." I said, "You know what? I understand what you're saying. No more questions." <laughs> so that's and that's how I, I said, "You know, all right." But uh, let's. I, I guess we can go ahead and get started here. Um. Coach Eddie Robinson Jr. of Alabama State put out a tweet and said that uh, Alabama State is the standard of HBCU athletic facilities. Uh, he posted pictures of Alabama State facilities, which are, I mean, they're they're beautiful. Um, I, I remember I used to be, live in Montgomery um, probably 15, 20 years ago. That wasn't necessarily the case. Alabama State invested. Uh, a lot of people even then – Said that that's a waste of money. Nobody's gonna come. Y'all not gonna get the crowd. Sure enough, Alabama State is ranked number six in the FCS in attendance. Uh, facilities are beautiful. That is obviously taking hold, and a lot of people have picked up on it. Alabama A&M has improved their camp. Uh, Texas Southern, where you are, just broke ground on a new uh, six million dollars strength and conditioning facility. Uh, we've been hearing about Prairie View. Um, but then things happen, what we've seen the past two weeks with, with Coach uh, Ed Reed and, and BCU, and then we've had misinformation come out, like kind of what Shannon Sharp said today. Um, what are some of the reasons why HBCUs get knocked so hard uh, for, for, I guess, as a whole for, I guess, isolated events? Well, I have a couple of theories on that, uh, and I'll be quite frank when I say that, that the theories, these are not anything that I've necessarily proven uh, based on research, but there are components of what I'll move from that are researched um, components of it that I'll provide you. Uh, but unfortunately, it's painful for me to say is I, I think this goes back that we as a group of people, black people, uh, African-Americans, Africans, if you really want to talk about the diaspora, 
Um, it still goes back to the fact that we've been taught over a, little, a long period of time, historically, not to really appreciate it. Mm. You know, other people talk about it simply as hate, that we they hate ourselves. Um, and I think there is a component of that, unfortunately, is very true. Uh, and when, oftentimes when you hate yourself, you don't trust yourself. So we have a lot of folks that are sick with that mentality. And it's easy uh, to hate on uh, people of color, minorities, uh, but more specifically about African-Americans. You know, women are probably higher on that list in some cases than black men. Uh, and I hate to put it in that gender framework because we almost create this oddity of, of seeming to have to prove which one has the worst uh, yeah. components of it. But I just hold my queens that I like to talk about high just as much as I talk about my brothers and my kings. But I think a lot of this is just centuries, right, of being taught to loathe each other, not to trust each other. And when we form communities, uh, it, within those communities, no matter what type of resources we have, oftentimes in the community, the love is pretty strong. Now, like any community or any group of folks, oftentimes there are disturbances that create factors uh, that uh, have people um, getting mad or frustrated. And oftentimes that is what we call uh, um, the inequalities that exist or the deprivation of resources that allow uh, people to be able to function at a high level. But the oddity of this is oftentimes we tend to think about this more as individuals. In a very Eurocentric capitalistic system, oftentimes things are thought about the singular, you know, one, raise yourself up by your bootstraps. But undergirding in all that is really a system that supports the group process. Uh, which obviously is more Afrocentric in nature about the family, about the community, right? About a ethnic state of people with common uh, core values, uh, historical frameworks, if you will. And so when those things start to put in place, it's a lead where, the, where we're going ultimately to kind of end the thought about this, that translate from individuals and communities to institutions. So we don't talk about our institutions and the value of our institutions. In fact, um, when we look at desegregation, because I don't like to call it integration, because when you really think about integration in its purest scientific uh, sense, integration is when uh, there's a transfer of information or things or parts uh, on both sides. Uh, when you think about the desegregation of black communities, let's be frank with that, right? Black institutions, um, some of the greatest minds and thinkers, athletic bodies uh, move into what I refer to as white spaces, Eurocentric institutions, right? And they had to deal with a whole different set of issues. Some could survive and do well. Other ones uh, had to deal with some mental angst in terms of how they were dealt with in the environment, which is a poison. Sometimes they brought that back to the community but then those that were left in the community didn't have the ability to navigate with the top 10. I, I hate to refer to it, but you've heard it just so people for me with the talent and tip. You know, those that are doing well, they balance those that are not doing well. And you could pull people up as a collective group. So one of the problems we have is we don't really value our black institutions. 
uh, to really sum up with to answer your question. And that's a troubling thing when you talk about our greatest resource, the greatest value of what has allowed us to transcend a lot of the ills of this society is through our institutions. And when you start valuing your institutions, uh, it becomes even more difficult as a collective to create the empowerment that is needed to see growth uh, throughout uh, the community, our people. It, to to that point, you know, it's 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 sort of like the the old adage, you know, white is right, you know, and and in our community, a lot of times we always assume that white is better or white is the correct way, and and the way we're doing it isn't up to their standard, you know, and so whenever we look at our institutions, HBCU institutions. We always look at them like, oh, they're substandard because they're not the white institution. And so a lot of times it's, it's, it's pure misinformation and it's a pure slanted bias to make it to where HBCUs are substandard. And like, you know, the, the quote, the, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets a chance to put his pants on. So whenever you do have that misinformation, that's going to spread. But whenever people come out and fight it with the truths, those truths aren't going to spread and it's not going to get the coverage that the lie gets. And so it's an uphill battle The HBCUs, their alums, their students, people like Dr. Cavill are always going to have to fight because they're fighting it with facts where everybody else gets to spread lies and misinformation and pass it off as fact, but their, their message goes further. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't provide a, a more level-headed response uh, or framework of what I'm speaking about. And you're absolutely right about us understanding, but I will say this, what you all are doing is important, uh, is about uh, moving head, focus in the direction of truth and power of empowering people. So you have to do it. You have a responsibility and you all are uniquely in a position that you own that, you understand that and you value that, right? And so it's harder for folks to be able to corrupt you all in regards to saying that, uh, forget all that. I'm gonna do this because it makes me feel good or financially it's beneficial. Yeah. Um, let's be frank with that. You know, in capitalistic society, oftentimes <laughs> negative news sells. That's true. Right? Um, and so if you value the dollar more than you value um, your own empowerment, your people's empowerment or your own truth, then it's easy to get off your squares they talk about, right? Yeah. It's, it's exactly. easy to move off that uh, guiding light. So to your point, I agree. That's that's a lot of the problem. But that's one thing that I've been blessed with is that I, I'm focused. And um, I've been in a position where proximity to whiteness is not anything I see. Right? And I've done so much studying that I understand why there may be a difference. Deprivation of resources uh, is plain as can see if you take your time just to read and do your homework. Uh, it doesn't take long to understand why some institutions don't have the resources as others, right? When you've been stripped, and we found out now that it's in so many different ways. You know, one time we looked at it historically, we understood that it was from, you know, athletics with, you know, African-Americans leaving communities uh, that at one time went to black spaces, mainly what we refer to as historically black colleges, moving into white spaces, what I refer to as historically white colleges and universities, right? And those resources went with them. Uh, we've seen it with redlining when you talk about the financing of housing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so we've seen it 
over and over in different capacities about how do you build wealth, the educational wealth gap, right? The resources for uh, these um, segregated high schools. Now you had uh, power where you had a community and some of the best intellectual think tanks that were teaching us these institutions. So they were over able to overcome it. Uh, what people don't even realize oftentimes it was the education of segregated high schools, K through 12, that broke the back of segregations through the legal system. Those folks that did that right, came from yeah. black high schools, historically black colleges. They the one that fought that battle, mm. right? And they were the ones supposedly with this inferior education. So we have to be careful about folks telling us that the value of anything just has to be with dollars. Yeah. Now we're not fools and we understand that you need resources, but we can't be caught up with everything has to be measured by uh, what dollars and cents, because we already know that those resources are contained by those individuals because the system, uh, as you've seen with the study that talks about the billions of dollars that have been displaced mm -hmm. from yeah. historically black colleges and institutions, right? And we know that that's not an accident, right? We knew this. Now, we may not have done and put pen to paper for the dollars, which is good uh, to see when you start understanding just how much it is and, and it becomes egregious when it's billions of dollars, right? Not just millions, but billions of dollars right. um, uh, from these institutions. So, you know, you think about what you could do with millions of dollars and what those resources yeah. would do to the community. Yeah. Even from a private institution, if we have more folks that are going to public institutions that are better equipped, then when they are financially well off, right, and are not first-generation folks that are trying to accumulate some level of wealth, it's easier for them now to be philanthropic, <laughs> maybe give back to a Black institution that's private that they see the value in because they see yeah. it for themselves. Right, yeah. which will help with them cookman. But to get back to one of the platforms you talked about from an athletic framework, I would have to agree in a lot of ways that Alabama State has become uh, what many people see as the standard, right? And, and I'm careful about using uh, those words like that because now it seems like you're trying to separate yourself, which in a Eurocentric model is extremely um, important. What I like to say is from an Afrocentric matter that, you know, Alabama State has been able to create some value uh, in their institution yeah, that right. is visibly different than other institutions. So um, they were able to navigate the space of state and, and some degree federal funding that allowed them to allocate funds. And I'm sure that they were old over a period of time mm -hmm. and they were able to navigate this space maybe a little better than some other state institutions namely in Mississippi or in Louisiana, where you all reside and do a lot of your uh, background in terms of the cultural experience that is unique yeah. to that state and people that look like you. Um, the next in line is a lot of ways is Texas. But as you notice these things, you know, a lot of that is appropriation for equity because other institutions have gotten it first and so fast and built up that these are older. But yeah, yeah. You also have to give some credit to the leadership there. You know, mm -hmm. let me not shy away from that. When you have significant, long-lasting leadership, you know, under the current president, and you have to give some 
uh, love to past presidents because oftentimes these things start in one president and it's building another one. And so the, yeah. the current president would get more um, advantage or support and looking as if they did it, but they maintain and they carry it through, which is important. You also have to give some respect to the board that uh, were fought and allowed to make sure these things happen. But specifically also VP of Intercollegiate Athletics or the athletic director, right? Uh, Miss Williams that was there before um, the current athletic director uh, in terms of his still in terms of what he gets done there. Um, they were able to navigate that space and be able to talk to folks and provide value of why these things need to do. So you got the stadium, which is one of the largest and newest ones out there. Uh, very similar to Prairie View, um, obviously a little larger than that. And it delivered in terms of how they were able to support it. The Academy has been renovated. Obviously mm -hmm. they have their own stadium track field, uh, <laughs> which is nice when you can separate it. Uh, which is similar to what you see a lot at Prairie View. And a lot of that was due to resources that folks had not put in that institution, but to some degree, people fighting for it and the state recognizing that it needs <clears throat> done. And so it gets done. So those are the things uh, that end up being pretty important to me when I think about uh, what that means uh, when we look at that. And that's the current uh, VP of Athletics, Dr. Jason Cable. Uh, in terms of uh, what he's been able to do in creating an environment and understanding his craft in a, such a way um, that allows him to create that value. So, yeah. so I, I know a lot of, we, we, you, you spoke on the song, the, the underfunding and the lack of resources HBCUs typically have. And in my opinion, that makes the administration of those institutions almost I'm not going to say better, but I'm going to say they're, they're more efficient because they're able to still, you know, succeed at a high level with less resources. And especially whenever you look at these athletic departments with budgets that are a tenth or, you know, a twentieth of what some of these bigger institutions have. But yet they're still able to compete at a D1 level with those other schools. Can you speak a little bit to the obstacles that HB are kind of unique to HBCUs in a sense other than the funding? You know, other than, you know, lack of funding and and kind of how these eight administrations are able to you know overcome some of those obstacles. Well, yeah, certainly. In a lot of ways, it almost always come back to resources. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's a challenge. But um, as I tell my students, so I have to do it, too, because I tell them that, that they can't just say money or, or resources, that they have to really dig down a little deeper. So um, resources allow you to get manpower. So as you're talking about. One of the dilemmas that you have at smaller schools, not just HBCUs, but mid-major, particularly what some people call low major in a basketball reference at the division one level, but those that are um, limited resources uh, is some of the terminology you hear them say, is that they don't have the manpower, the, the people really uh, to diversify athletic departments, academic departments, leadership departments, administrative departments, right? And so each time that you lack manpower, that means you're either asking folks to do another job, right? And let's think about that. Um, it's hard enough to be sufficient in one job. You talked about it earlier. Have, have you had somebody that had two high-level jobs? Now, 
use that as a case. And the reason it usually doesn't happen because <laughs> people can't do both jobs yeah. well. Now, in this case, it's a little different because it's at least the offseason. Yeah. Right? So that makes a little bit of sense. I, I want to make sure I put that out there. But it gives us a reference point. So if I'm asking an individual to do two jobs, it shouldn't surprise you if a couple of things may fall by the wayside because they're trying to do two things, right? Or three things in terms of the job. So that manpower and resource makes it real challenging. So even if we go back, as you talk about Bethune-Cookman, uh, some of the issues you have are multi-layered. And one of the things we get um, in this environment where we are, right, this, this United States in terms of the country we live in, is the fact that we often like to simplify things to one thing. Let me just point out this one thing. This is the reason why. But in reality, if you think about it, that's rarely the case. Usually it's multiplicative effects that create the environment that, that happens, whether it's positive or negative, right? And you, as I said, when you talk about what's so good about Alabama State, their, their facilities, Texas Southern Prairie View, right? Um, Alabama a and in terms of basketball arena, what they continue to do. And some other institutions have done some stuff. Uh, even in the MEAC and things of that nature, right? Um, but a lot of that is is overcoming uh, the ability to develop all those resources. But when you look at Bethune-Cookman, the fact that they don't have the manpower, remember one of the things they had to do is they were trying to right side the finances. They had to furlough people and let people go. That's not always you doing that because you were top heavy. Often the times you did that because you just financially had to change the state of affair to level set things, right? It doesn't mean you don't need folks. And at some point, you hopefully you get to a point where you can hire them back. But the challenge about that is when you hire them back, oftentimes you have to hire new people and they don't have the history, right? And when I say history, I'm not just talking about Experience. historical artifacts, but I'm also talking about knowledge based. Experience, yeah. Right? The experience, exactly. It comes with them. So those are some of the things that um, make it challenging when you talk about HBCUs and what they lack for not having these resources that are tied to money but are directly or indirectly uh, making it challenging. And, and so those, that's probably the biggest thing that I would talk about is the yeah, manpower. The first thing that comes to mind when you say that to me is the, is the situation with FAMU earlier this year when we saw all yeah. those at academically ineligible players because they have one person trying to be a student advisor to you know multiple sports teams so that that's a that's a great point i think you hit it right on the head with that one doc yes sir appreciate it so yeah. another thing when we talk about these resources now i'll let you jump in and ask a question i apologize oh no no problem but um for example when you look at prairie view because i wanted to break this down y'all said you on some facts we want to do some numbers and we don't get a chance to talk about this so this is um, needed information. And I know for some folks, it's easier to get out there and talk about all this other stuff. But since you had me and we're going to take this deeper dive, you know, we'll try to make it um, fun, at least interesting. But Prairie View, for example, in 2019, if you would, uh, they put out their fiscal year report. And so they had $236 million in total revenue. Let's break it down so people understand where revenue comes from and the percentage of that revenue. Because a lot of folks just think, you got millions of dollars, you know, why, where does this money go? And what do you spend it on and things of that nature? Well, 25, this is a public institution, as y'all know, and 25% of the revenue, 236 million, right, come from state appropriation. The legislation of the state of Texas provides $59 million. Well, you say, man, that's a lot of money. 
But when you compare it to other institutions, it's on the lower end in the state. Exactly. It's not. And that's a challenge, too, because people will hear $59 million is a lot of money. But it costs a lot of money to run an institution. And when you compare with another institution that gets oftentimes similar size, they still get less. And when you create the rules of why you divvy out money, you can create rules that seems like you're doing it in a fair way, but you skew the rules in such a way that you get all the advantage of it. So we're going to give more money to an institution that's doing more research. Well, the institution had all the benefits up front in a lot of ways. So obviously they're doing more research. So what you do, you just combat and you create rules that make it like you're not doing anything unfair, uh, but you're advantaging a program that already had the advantage. So 25%, when you talk $59 million, that's only 29% of the budget in terms of revenue that comes from the state. 19%, right, comes from tuition and fees. So the more students you have, the more, the more tuition and fees you have, right? And you set these percentages in a way. So if you think about that, almost 45, almost half of Prairie View's budget, right? Right under 44, 50%, 44%, right? Or state appropriations, what comes from the legislator, and tuition and fees. 14% come from contracts and grants. Grants that you get applying with your faculty, grants from federal grants, local grants, any of those type of grants, and contracts. Contracts you get uh, for doing things for folks, you get about 14% of your budget. 13% of contracts and grants. One is what you call operating grants, things that you need literally to operate. Then you have a section that's called non-operate. So contracts and grants total is 27%. They break it down in two areas. Then you have 12% available university funds, AUF. That's funds that you can basically um, spend in a lot of different areas. So those are funds that are available to do things outside of that are not allocated for specific things yeah. in the budget line, right? 4% federal appropriation, right? Um, and so each of these institutions get federal funds. It's only 4%. Think about it. 4%. $9 million. But if I told you Prairie is $9 million from the government, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. Not that's when you nuts. compare... That is only 4% of a $236 million budget, 1% from gifts, right, outside sources. Um, and I'll quickly say this, um, as question comes up, people talk about, well, African-Americans, blacks have a low giving rate. But if you really compare it to Bingo. other institutions, yeah. their giving Bingo. rate the same or higher. And if you look at it, the African-Americans, the blacks that give to historically white institutions African-Americans give at a higher percentage than mm-hmm. those at historically white institutions. Yes, but sir. all we get is that y'all get 3% is a low rate. So nobody has the comparison. Nobody does the comparison. So you just hear 1%. You say, oh, that's low. But what is it low compared to? As you talked about, how do you have these discussions in the classroom? You bring up facts to make stuff level so folks can get some real uh, framework of what this talks about. Well, this school does this, but what does the other school do? Not to compare, because you know that is a problem in itself if you're always comparing, but at least the level set to give you some understanding what to do. 2% from other income, 2% from investment income, meaning they invest in maybe the stock market and other stuff, and they get money back yearly on that investment. That's 2%. You got places like Harvard that have you know, significant investment because they have the resources to invest, 
They mm-hmm. can split and invest some in uh, risky areas, some and not. But they have such a large portfolio that they get a higher percentage back on their investment because they've been doing it longer. They have more expense in it. You have what you call auxiliary, auxiliary operations, which gets in to athletics, bands, and other things about auxiliary of how you operate that. That's $18 million. Again, that includes research, which is 8%. But I want you to say this last thing before I, I close that part up. It's $236 million in revenue. And you're like, man, that's a lot of money. You do everything. But their expenses is $235 million. Hmm. So they spend almost every dollar they get in. Well, people would say, how do you do that? But that's not necessarily a bad thing. You uh, must remember that this is a nonprofit organization. Right. So you're supposed to basically spend everything you get in. It is operated like a business, which some people would have some concern in education, period. But a lot of parts of it, yes, operates, but because it's not a profit, oftentimes we forget that it does not have a business platform. And that's what gets a lot of the NCA and these Power 5 schools in trouble now because Mm -hmm. people see all the revenue that they're getting and they use the business model with television to help them get the money. And people are saying, well, if y'all not a profit, you can't call these athletes right mm-hmm. in such a way where we say no they can't have revenue we just got the name image and likeness which was good but they won't pay them right uh, because they say they're amateurs well a lot of that is based on the fact that their model and people are arguing is like no you can't have this model where everybody generates and everybody gets this money but the folks right. that earn it don't get a penny and that's what level sets this versus when we think about a non-profit entity yeah uh, now, Dr. Kavir, I, I had to laugh earlier uh, when you got ready to start. David said, nah, I keep talking, Dr. I ain't about to ask you nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, as always, you know, wealth of knowledge and we, we're absorbing it all. Uh, and and you, you kind of touched on a, a lot of the questions we had. Um, one thing, and you kind of touched the misconception about athletic budgets and school budgets, because a lot of people... One thing that I, I, I do know, people, I heard a lot uh, with Jackson State when Dion was leaving and, and some of that misinformation was getting out there. Um, <laughs> Jackson State made so much in, in athletic ticket sales. ticket sales and stuff. And then they were like, why is the athletic department giving back to the school, uh, giving money to the school? That's they still the school stealing money from the athletic department. Well, we we heard that in the Bethune thing also. You know, they made what eight hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand for playing the University of Miami, and some of the protesters and players were asking, "Well, where's our money for that game?" Not realizing that it doesn't go strictly back to the football team; it goes into the athletic budget as a whole, and that happens at a lot of institutions, not just FCS. That that happens at every every school that plays money games. That money goes back into the general budget for the athletic department so they could pay for travel for all these non-revenue generating sports such as women's basketball, soccer, baseball, and all those kind of sports. It's not just the HBCUs. It's not just with the Jackson State and Bethune situation. It happens everywhere, but it only gets pointed back at HBCUs like they're stealing money from the athletic department. Not, not yeah. just that. Let me add on to that because that, that, that is important that we really need to drill down on that. People fail to realize is, yes, you hear that Miami is paying them this money, but nobody talks about the fact is, how did they get there in the first place? How did they get to Miami? Travel. Right? Right? You think they travel for free? Nah. 
Then they feed them. They had to buy equipment and all that stuff. What people don't realize is to get the season started with practice, put them in, you know, fall camp and all that kind of stuff, somebody has to pay that money. Uh, because mm-hmm. there's no television money, it's not like the athletic department starts with revenue in their budget. They haven't sold a ticket. Mm-hmm. So where's the revenue? Revenue comes from the school. The school upfronts it. So oftentimes that money that you're talking about, the reason it not only goes back to the general fund, part of it is paying back. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Money yeah. that they borrowed. And people yeah. just conveniently just slip over that because they forget the whole thing. All they hear is like, oh man, they got seven. Mm-hmm. No. The university upfronted the money for athletics to operate the year. What happens over the year period of time when they get this money, all they do is basically pay it back. So essentially, the athletic department took out a loan. Yeah, from the university. Yeah, from the university, and just like when you spend on your credit card, what happens? You got to pay it back. You got to pay that bill back. back You want to? They're gonna come get you. Yeah, and not to mention when people say the the money should stay in the you know in the football team's budget and things of that nature. My question would be. You don't want the men's basketball, women's basketball team. You don't want them to have a season because how else are they going to travel to their conference games and all those things unless they have that money in the budget? Because like you said, you got to travel, you got to house them, you got to feed them on all these road trips, non-conference and conference. So that's the only way. That money's got to come from somewhere. And until those other sports start generating their own revenue, which is not going to happen because it doesn't happen in any program, in any institution in the country, it's not going to happen. Unless you're Duke basketball, Kansas basketball, you know, one of those blue blood blue career programs, right. you're not right. going to generate revenue in those sports. Mm-hmm. So every program in the country does the same thing. Right. That's why you hear about them counseling all these Title IX sports, trying to blame it on Title IX, which is another yeah. false move. Mm-hmm. But Right. A lot of it is because it doesn't generate revenue. Two things are the most biggest things that generate revenue for institution: ticket sales. But the real money driving thing is television revenue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you see Walla Polo on television? Really? <laughs> nope. Not very often, which means nope. the contracts that the interests are not there, so you don't see it on television. Mean uh, the networks are not going to pay a conference, if you would, for that money. So that's a lot of it is like a lot of the money that you see, even from the power five, it's not just coming from the fact that they um, are able to get a lot of money. Most of that money is actually coming from television. Yep. Yep. Speaking Constantly. of television. Yeah. The, uh, go ahead, Pooh. No, no, I was going to ask. Uh, well, uh, it's two things. I think a big problem that people have, especially looking at budget, a lot of times, because of the way we've been conditioned, a lot of times we look at HBCU sports with uh, historically white college eyes, the way we've mm-hmm. understood sports because, and we talked about this before, I never knew FCS playoffs, the format and the way it's set up was completely different from FBS mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, and, and, and again, I understand that uh, FCS is not all uh, HBCU, but because it falls under NCAA, uh, they you you're pretty much playing for a playoff. You're paying for your playoffs uh, uh, to host a playoff game or or to Absolutely. to participate. Which uh, which in itself puts some certain institutions at a disadvantage. Exactly. Um, also, uh, with FBS because uh, the way it's set up, it is not under NCAA. 
they are pretty much funded by sponsorships and, and different things like that. So it is completely different. It benefits you to make the F FBS playoffs to make money for your school, to make money for your conference. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it goes back to everything we're saying. No, that, that's important though. Yeah, <laughs> that, that revelation that you talk about, you didn't know. And you fussing at folks saying, hey, man, why y'all go to the playoffs? And somebody mm -hmm. said, no, it don't make sense to go to playoffs. You be like, what you mean? You, I mean, you, right. you do all this, make money. Yeah. Then when you finally break it down, you be like, oh, man, this don't make no sense. Why yeah, I'd rather I'd rather go get my million dollars for playing in the celebration bowl than have to go play to go play in the playoffs. Especially right. if you have the option. Exactly. It's a different. The historic white colleges don't have a celebration bowl. They don't have the right. option. Exactly. So obviously the the thing that they're gonna at least try to chase for something they gotta reward the students to do something so they go to the playoffs. But if they had their choices, uh, that their ads and presidents are not dumb. If they had their choices to make money versus not make money, they would do it. The other thing that's important though, when we get in there is when we talk about the NCA is like it's not just the NCA. It's not this NCA that makes these decisions. The NCA is made up of the membership. But the mm -hmm. question that we also need to ask ourselves is who who operates, who who has the most power within the NCA? And it yeah. makes sense, especially in this country, usually those that have the most what resources and money have the what? The power. Yeah, I was just about to and ask so how many. They, yeah, they had a voting power. So they created the rules in such a way. They're the ones who threatened the NCA that we're going to leave all together unless you let us have football. Now, they'll give you some of the resources because we don't want y'all get mad too much. So we need the playoffs. But the reason the playoffs are set in the way is because it had to be set up in such a way that at least was able to operate enough that it didn't take so much money away from the Power Five. But they get some resources. They're not going to put up a system that would generate revenue because that revenue would go away from the Power Five that are getting it from the tournament or what now is the college football playoffs. They want all those resources. They do it in basketball. Yeah. Basketball, yes, we'll make it so it seems fun, uh, fair. Everybody gets one bid, right? Bingo. Bingo, but, right but everybody there. Everybody gets uh, big power, get multiple bids. And mm -hmm. they set it up in such a way, the further you go in the tournament until you get the Final Four, you get extra money. So even the basketball tournament, not only do they get more teams, more teams proceed further in the tournament, so they get those resources. When they go bring these elaborate facilities, go and recruit folks with these big old toys, and then they come back and say, hey, man, this is about who's the best. This is not whatever. And you say, hey, man, y'all just work harder and do all this. He's like, man, y'all must think I'm crazy. I bet the rules. I see what you're doing. You set up a system that is beneficial to you, and then you get mad with anybody that challenges it. Then they then they expand they expand the field to ninety teams. And yet they what they didn't do is say okay we're gonna give every league two automatic bids. Whoever know. wins the regular season or whoever wins the conference tournament they didn't do that did they? Nah, no, that makes too much sense. You know, and that would be too, that would be too equitable for everyone. So what they're gonna do the is they're just gonna have more five and eight teams that in that conference. You know, or whatever five hundred teams in that conference make the tournament instead of teams who. Lost two games in that conference at a lower level. But my question was going to be how many, because obviously we know 
well, I don't know, obviously, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but presidents and ADs sit on a lot of these competition boards and, you know, boards and stuff like that for the NCAA. Are there any HBCUs that have representation on these boards? Um, every so often they have one. I got you. I got you. So, so you it, have, it, it has happened. Yeah, so you have some, but it's like one person. Yeah. But even other FCS conferences may have one, two people. Mm-hmm. Most of the folks that sit on the board at the Division One are from the Power Five, yeah. so they even have the voting block. So you might have a committee, mm-hmm. let's say, of eleven folks. Eight, nine of those folks gonna be from the Power Five institutions or the FBS level. Mm-hmm. One yeah. or two will be from FCS. They might put one for Division Two, or they might just all be Division One, depending on the committee or whatever. Maybe yeah. all Division One, but when you look and say, "All right, let me look at each of these schools," and you start looking at, you be like, "Hold on." Five of these folks happen to be in these schools that are a member of these Power Five institutions. And we but only one the of them is from the G5. Two of them from G5, but only one of them are from the mid-major. And one of them. So anything you bring up to try to change the rules, you'll be like, nope, we don't want that. Never mind. We vote that down. Yep. That makes sense. Right. Like, like our boy David says, the golden rule is the one with the gold makes the rules. That's it. Yep. That's it. That old adage. Very true. And so that's what you see. So it plays out on every level. And that's where it comes back when we talk about the deprivation of resources. That's what we meant by that. It's when they're systematically, purposely set up to alleviate and withhold resources from certain institutions. In this case, what we see evidence of that it is happens to be, and I shouldn't say happens to be, it is purposely historically black college university more than it is of the other. Uh, you mentioned previously uh, TV contracts is the way to go. Well, not necessarily the way to, but that's where the biggest, you know, the, the second part of that, that um, how big is the HBC, HBCU go deal to, in, in, you know, to help like oh, the swag and stuff. It's huge. It's huge. It has the chance to literally change the game, leveling the level the playing field to some degree. Obviously, you're not going to really catch up with the Power Fives, but the G5s becomes reality. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I looked at based on my calculations, what I've heard Commissioner Dr. Charles McCullen talking about, I mean, depending on these other resources, they'll renegotiate their contracts too, so it could change. But based on the deal that was currently structured and understanding the money associated with it, I seen red whatever um that the distribution over a period of time is going to be not only the larger the largest in terms of fcs but it becomes larger than the bottom three uh members of the fbs the g5 type of conference institution so um you see these institutions are at least able to operate um to some degree at the uh, FBS level, imagine what it looks like when a FCS conference has the budget of money to distribute to its institution to do that. So now you can reduce some degree, some of the resources that you have coming out from your auxiliary funds we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, right? So you can even keep them there and expand your budget, or you can take some of those things out and do more creative things with. Now you have this money that comes in there. So you talk about facilities, it allows you, one, to maintain the facilities, which is important, right, to keep them up. And then it allows you to enhance 
uh, the facilities, putting new things in there that uh, helps maybe uh, the fan experience, which ultimately could um, help in terms of resources uh, coming into the institution in terms of seating arrangements, ticket sales, marketing, and things of that nature that you can do with these resources, right? It helps in that. And then, obviously, you have resources that allow you maybe to build new projects. Um, and so when you look at those three different areas, the ability to maintain, right, what you have, to expand what you have and literally build new things, that should tell you pretty significantly the type of resources and what the HBCU goal can help provide. You, you, you said build new things. I'm <laughs> glad you said that. Tennessee State recently went to their senator, went to the state government because their enrollment had grown so much that they were trying to build new housing for students. Um, when they got there, they were met, they were met with not only resistance, but they were met with criticism. Why are y'all allowing so many students to come? The president argued uh, basically. Um, that, hey, it's been a, a renaissance in HBCUs, more students are, and with the pandemic, more students are coming back home and they're choosing to come to, you know, Tennessee State. The senators then argue, why aren't they going to Tennessee? <laughs> well, they, they just choose to go to, you know, black students. Are you asking, and it, I think it was kind of question, are you asking why are black students choose to go to an HBCU? And, and I bring that up because <laughs> this isn't an isolated incident. Correct. North Carolina a &T. Yep. I was just about to bring them up. Yeah. $2 million fine. They were fined $2 million for basically saying they were um, over-enrollment, over-enrolling students. You have too many out-of-state students. Out-of-state students. There you go. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, when you see things like that, we talk about building this money that can come from the HBCU Gold Deal. Um and then, as something you mentioned earlier, uh, there's approximately 18 HBCUs that is owed approximately, and they say this is adjusted with inflation, $12.8 billion. That's B with, billion with a B, everybody that's out there. Yeah, I mean, at, at, you know, <laughs> the largest one was one of the institutions talked about, A&T, which is mm -hmm. $2.7 mm -hmm. billion. Uh, FAMU was right under $2 billion, $1.9. Tennessee State at $1.9 billion. And they just asked for $400 million. And they wouldn't even give them all of that. They gave them two. Right? And the money they gave them was just to bring up, again, the facility. It was deferred maintenance, meaning the buildings were literally falling apart. They were asking for infrastructure stuff. That's the other thing. Some folks are like, they got $200 million, they need to do something with it. It can't even go to the students in terms of scholarship if yeah. they want it. So COVID money for the federal government, they did that part. Um, and I certainly understand students that say they don't want debt, but a lot of that is out of the control in terms of what, what's going on there, uh, what that looks like. You don't have the investment money. You have African-Americans that earn a penny on the dollar, and then you're going to ask them to give it back in their first generation. So that wealth gap that you talk about all starts to mingle and churn but yes to your point as i said the system is set up in such a way that it doesn't benefit hbcus and then you double down with literally racist individuals whether they try to cover it up in different things and ask these questions 
or set up a system that allows them to create racist policies if they have racist bone or not. The policies themselves uh, create deprivation. That is a racist framework of thinking when you do that. And I know that's a challenge for some folks because they think we over some of that. Well, I, I, I hate to break it to you, it, it still exists. Um, so yes, not only were they talking about Tennessee, which is challenging because you know Tennessee in a lot of ways, unless you are special admit for athlete that is going to allow them to generate revenue on the field, they won't let you in the institution unless you make certain scores, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. But a lot of it, they were talking about them not even going to the other regional, historically white college universities. Middle Tennessee State and schools right. of that nature. Correct. Tennessee Tech. Why yeah. they wouldn't prefer to go there? Um, which, you know, we don't even have to entertain that. We know what that's about. But the fact that you have to understand it. The president, Glover, literally had to answer that question, which tells you a lot about the challenge of presidents and chancellors at HBCUs, about the fact that they even have to entertain the foolishness uh, of that nature. It's not about educating students. It's about us deciding where you're going to educate, how many you're going to educate, and we're going to question everything about what you're doing, That, and then we're still not going to give you the appropriate funds that you need other than just enough to allow you to be able to somewhat sustain, not really thrive, but sustain. But what's sad about this, think about how great this country would be, uh, which I know is a challenge for a lot of people to understand, if the appropriate resources there. All that capital and money actually goes back in the system. All you're doing is developing folks that are going to mm-hmm. come out and be gainfully employed in areas where they can make a decent living and they're going to spend uh what is housing money you know things pay more in taxes yeah they just gonna pay more taxes <laughs> so they're gonna feed back in the system so you're actually depriving the system of generating more wealth which is just crazy you go to a and t as you said they were punished what's sad about north carolina a and t is not the fact that they had the rules on the books but they don't even apply the same right University of north carolina right. doesn't have the same rule mm-hmm. so that's when i start saying that we need to understand before we go so hard on HBCU black institutions, and not to say that we can't question anything, but we really, again, need to do our homework so we put it on the table so we're asking the appropriate questions. And we need to make sure we're not only asking the president, chancellor of these institutions, not only answering the board, but we need to be answering the legislator. Because understand, as you said earlier, hopefully you're voting, but even if you're voting, you're going to pay your taxes or they're going to put you to jail. So that's your money. That they're making a decision. So they're taking your money. So you get double dip. They're taking your money and not even supporting institutions that you came to be associated with. And, and, and to your point, Grambling State, which is, you know, school closest to me, they they recently, you know, hired a former politician as their president of their university. And one of the first things he did was try to make Grambling State a land grant institution. And legislative died it died in legislature the bill died in yeah, legislature. They were like no nah, we good don't worry about it yeah that, exactly so even even whenever you as the hbcu try to play the game their way you know and bring in someone who's familiar with with the tactics and how it works they still you know they still have all the power and they still can say nah we good you nah, know what i mean good. and so no matter how good you try to play their game they're still going to be better at it than you right and so that's one of the reasons I go back to the fact that we need to 
put our head down and do our work and be excited for what we have. We need to celebrate us. We yeah. need to celebrate the fact that is that it is a wonderful experience that Prairie View plays Grambling in the State Fair Classic. We need to be able to enjoy all the things that are surrounded that make that game rich. We need to be able to celebrate the SWAT championship game and the fact that we can put 30, 40, 50 people in there mm-hmm. and enjoy that experience. We don't have to compare it to other things. You know, there's sometimes with measurables you do that and we supersede other ones, but we need to not only compare it for the fact that we want to show somebody, we need to compare it for the fact that we can celebrate it. We can celebrate, literally celebrate the celebration bowl. Uh, for the fact that it features a SWAT versus MIAC. It is a championship event in regards to what it looks like. It starts the bowl season with a championship as it ends with the CFP championship. So if we got a better understanding and celebrate that and support it in such a way, it becomes easier uh, to ask for even more support, which creates a, a tsunami effect in a lot of ways to continue to keep things going. So that's what I always tell everybody and why as you talked about earlier, why it's easy for me to have a level set because I don't get mad. I've studied, I understand what's going on and I'm happy in terms of celebrating uh, this great weekend, this weekend uh, that will come up this weekend, I should say with the rivalry game between Prairie View and Texas Southern. It's going to be a lot of black excellence in that event, right? A lot of people that celebrate these institutions that are proud of these institutions uh, that are going to get a chance to see it play out on the court between the men's and women thing, you know, and they're going to go in that with a lot of support for their team and a lot of ribbon against each other. But mostly when they come out of there, they're going to come out and celebrate each other and go have some fun. They might rib each other a little bit about who gets to sip the champagne and smoke a cigar talking about the victory dance, right? Uh, but outside of that, it's going to be, um, in a lot of ways, a great deal of love in terms of culture and community that is unique to any other event. That's great. We need to be not only okay, but we need to be functionally excited and literate about understanding the power of that state. Yeah. Dr. Kavir, you you said a trigger word. Land grant. (laughs) Land grant institution, land grant school. We always hear this, and I know we, we talked about, I know Tennessee State, um, that, that's one way they've been able to kind of fight complete and, and um, fight for money or, or, or fight for benefits and, and, and get ahead. What exactly is a land-grant uh, school? Um, and not necessarily the the de- de- uh, the definition, yes. the, the denotation, I guess you could say, but, you know, what what is something and how does that benefit our HBCUs? Well, land grant is basically um, legislative clause an act. It was called the Moral Act, named that the person that basically founded it. And there were schools that were founded under this designation. The first act was in 1862, and the next one was about 30 years later in 1890, if you would. Uh, the first one was signed under Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Think about that, which was the fun education. That's when this country saw education as the value and the growth and wanted more education facts. Now, I will say this, a lot of the education was to create a working class, so we can debate how value that is. But in terms of the context of what you're asking, it's important to understand that that's what it is. It's a it's a act that talked about land grant. And the, the mission of these colleges, 
they were basically special mission, almost like HBC in itself was a special mission. The land grant act and those schools that were designated under it was special mission, which happened to be both some historically black college and some what I refer to again as historically white college to create a level um, nomenclature and the name to talk about the leveling of it. That's why I don't use the other terminology out there. I want to put create equity. So it's important for those that want to know why I use historically white colleges is so to put them in a place where these two institutions are level set, not only in terms of how we need to think, but also in terms of how we use nomenclature names, if you would, to determine it. But back to your land grade, is it's basically about agriculture, science, sometimes military science. That's why you saw HBCUs that land grant have these uh, Army ROTC programs, Navy ROTC programs, if you would, uh, because they had the military science component on it in engineering, right? And so uh, you hear it with these ag research A&T. Uh, at one time, Tennessee State, right, was technically, they took that technical institute part off of it and just went for Tennessee State for short off, but it still has that land-grant mission. Prairie View A&M, agriculture mechanical. Alabama A&M, agriculture mechanical, right? Uh, FAMU, agriculture and mechanical. So a lot of these programs have engineering programs in it has some type of science, ag science or agriculture, if you would. Um, and again, military, high in sciences, which also means in a lot of ways it gives you a position where you can get some of these grant monies that we talked about earlier. Um, shout out to Howard University. They got that $90 million grant uh, that huge. was out there, which is huge, right? So you hear about the R2 designation and need several of these HBCU institutions that are talking about getting R1. That's for getting more research dollars allocation so people can understand the importance of it. The 11 institutions that are listed are two. Um, five of them are in the SWAC, Southwestern Athletic Conference, which is significant when you think about it. Uh, three of them, if you would, are, are two of them in the uh, Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, Tennessee State outside of it, North Carolina A&T outside of it, and then um, one uh, in terms of a private school that operates at the Division II level in the SIEC which is a Clark Atlanta University, which people don't understand why I'm always excited and pushing Clark Atlanta University because um, the, the, the merger of those institutions when they come together with Clark College and Atlanta University to the richness of Clark Atlanta University and the research of what they put on there uh, in the Atlanta uh, city, metropolitan city is huge. Um, and so that's why I get excited and certainly when I heard the SWAC taking a baseball tournament to Atlanta uh, was another indication about understanding the um, resources associated and importance of that. Because, again, we talk about these ag schools that are in these rural areas. One of the ways that you're able to recruit to these schools is to go to these larger metropolitan area where a lot of us live. Right. When I say mm -hmm. us African-American black people. Right. Out of the diaspora. So that's another reason why I always talk about Tennessee State, about understanding the value about being able to get into some of these areas. And the SWAC has the benefit of basically having two schools the way Houston has grown out. Certainly Houston, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Texas Southern, right there in the middle, but previous you know, extension and less than an hour away, uh, it creates an uh, environment where you have these institutions, you know, even Jack State, um, in terms of Jackson, you know, maybe not a large metropolitan that we think about Atlanta, Dallas, 
or Houston, but still in terms of that state significant in size, Baton Rouge was Southern significant in terms of the size. It's important when you look and understand what that magnitude is. So um, that's where you get land grant and really what it talks about in terms of understanding uh, the location, the type of institution and the money associated uh, with being a land grant institution. Yeah. Right. Dr. Cavill, as always, you didn't learn, as my grandma when you say you didn't learn me something today. Yes, sir. It's always great to talk to you, Doc. Uh, my pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me on. Hopefully, I added some value to the show. Uh, always, I added that we didn't triple the value. We might can sell this for no, nah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Doctor Kavir, we try to a lot of times because what we've heard, especially lately, all all people have heard are the problems. The problems. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. Um, we've kind of talked about uh, ways that, you know, things that are needed to help HBCUs get ahead. Um, as individuals and people listening and stuff, uh, what are some of the best ways to, I guess, help? Be part of the solution. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Be Part of being the solution is thinking solution mindset, solution oriented. So I'm glad that you asked this question. This is a perfect way to end it. And, and part of that is to support your HBCU. And so how do you support? One of that is direct financial money, uh, whatever resource level you have. You know, don't think any is too small, Correct. Uh, which is providing, again, resources, direct money uh, into the institution. Sometimes that is in terms of leaving uh, insurance policies, home policies, if you have it. Uh, so any way that you can bequeath things to the university also creates value uh, to the institution some period of time. Uh, and then it's about sending your kids. What other way can you support mm -hmm. okay. uh, value is uh, we talked about <laughs> um, resources in terms of tuition and fees. Part of it is about enrollment. So sending your students there is extremely important, whether it's your, your kids, your siblings, right? Cousins, folks in the neighborhood, getting them to go there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's important also uh, to provide service to the institution, right? And uh, now, this can't be service that you say they need. It needs to be service in terms of working with the institution, uh, not just saying that, that this is what they need and this is what I'm going to do. No, it needs to be in partnership yeah. in regards to the service that needs there. So um, those are some ways that you want to, to support the, the institution. The other thing that is important, as you talked about, in regards to understanding the value institution, HBCUs is responsible for the middle class to upper middle class of Blacks, African Americans, and stabilizing this country with that middle class, right? Uh, you can see the direct uh, quantitative evidence of what HBCUs provide. And then if you want to get particularly in terms of majors, you've seen these data points out there that talk about the number of teachers, talk about engineers, doctors, right? Lawyers, those that earn PhDs, uh, a large percent of those African-American Blacks in there is when you talk about folks that are able to attain that level of, of education, right? Uh, a lot in terms of 60% or more uh, have their beginnings in terms of the undergraduate degree at HBCU. Yeah. So that is significant when you talk about the value of what HBCUs do that it literally changed this country uh, to more productive and just country. And all, just about all the rights that we see different groups 
uh, that have been able to engender a lot of that comes directly for the push for civil rights, which were certainly on the backs and pushed and challenged by African-American black folks. So even the liberties, when we talk about, uh, if you hear this country, when it talks about the liberties, it's a direct influence uh, in hmm. terms of African-Americans, even when you talk about those that fought for freedom for everybody that ultimately led to civil rights in terms of the Civil War. That is a bedrock to this country when you look at the foundation of this uh, country in regards to what we understand it to be today. So there, without a doubt, and a, much of that input is on historically black colleges and universities. Yes, sir. Well said, hey, Doc. Hey, we can't even say nothing now. We finna, let's go ahead and end it. Doc, <laughs> again, as always, truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, look forward to talking to you again. Look forward to seeing you in uh, Media Day. Oh, yeah. We'll if be there. not before. Look forward if to not it. Before. Again, yes, y'all keep up the great work. Uh, yes, sir. Great work, I should say. I'm really excited and powerful what y'all do. And again, I appreciate the opportunity and um, continue the great work. And I hope I've, again, provided some value and substance to the show. Yes, sir. Def definitely. definitely. Always, definitely. always, Doc. Appreciate right. you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be wrapping up. We'll be back next week. Uh, I don't know what day. I don't know if we're going to come on Monday again or we're just going to stick to Wednesday for now. Just but subscribe do... to the channel so you'll know when we go live. How about I that? I tell you what, we do have some changes coming. So we'll be back. And like that, we out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.